Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. I'm Joy Dooling, and you are listening to the Joy of Membership podcast. This podcast is for membership leaders. So we talk about strategies for attracting, engaging, and retaining members. But that's not entirely the focus of the show, because let's be honest here, there is no shortage of advice out there on best practices in membership. What we need to talk about is how to actually make those things possible in the real world, how to be absolutely sure that growth practices are going to stick, how to make those things easier, more consistent, and even automatic in some cases. Sound good? Then stick around because we're about to jump into it. Hey there, Joy Dooling here, host of the Joy of Membership podcast. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. We talk a lot in this show about providing members with value. If you've listened to many episodes, you've probably noticed that being truly helpful for members comes in many different shapes and sizes. And I hope that you find the stories that you've heard to be inspirational and full of little idea nuggets that you can apply to your own organization. Still, you may find yourself returning to questions like, how can my organization create more value? Are there parts of the member experience where we aren't performing as well as we could? If those questions feel familiar, I'd like to invite you to download my free member experience scorecard. It's a quick one-page assessment that tells you exactly where your membership-based organization has areas of strength that you can build on and areas of gap where you're probably going to want to improve. The scorecard is free and in less than 10 minutes, you'll gain some actionable insights. You can grab your copy right now at joyofmembership.com slash scorecard. The podcast this week features an interview with Dick Hayduck, author of Shifting Gears. Dick is a former life sciences executive and mentor who has been committed to maintaining an active retirement, and he knew that he was not alone in doing that. The interviews that he has conducted with fellow retirees about their desires to make meaningful contributions are the basis for his book. I was curious to speak with Dick about his book because I often hear from membership leaders about the difficult time that they have attracting younger members, millennials, and now even Generation Z. This conversation was a nice reminder to keep looking at the other end of the age spectrum as well. Hey, Dick, thanks for being here today and welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Joy. It's great to be on. Thanks for inviting me on. It would be great if, kind of in your own words, you could share with the listeners who you are, what you've been working on. Okay, thank you. So I've been retired uh, kind of gradually over the last five years or so. Prior to that, I was involved in the life sciences business, kind of mentoring various organizations and CEOs of startups. Since retiring, two things have taken up a lot of my time. One is working with nonprofits and volunteering, and the whole idea of the joy of membership kind of plays into that. And then secondly, I I made a decision a while back to 
share and find experiences in retirement that others were having, I would ask people, tell me about this stage of your life. And they would then just tell me what was going on in their retirement. And several of those people have taken some real leadership positions, uh, some remarkable things that they're doing. So I thought we'd kind of combine those two things with my own experience in nonprofits, but also some really interesting experiences of others. Well, you know, the closer I get to retirement age, <laughs> the more I realize <laughs> that, first of all, I'm not ready to retire. And secondly, I think what I am at the age that people would expect that I might be retiring, I still feel like I will have a lot to contribute. So, you know, one of the reasons why I was really curious to talk with you is because my clients um, tend to lead associations and trade groups. And there's a lot of conversation about, you know, how to engage the, the younger crowd with the association or trade group. And I feel like sometimes we overlook this whole group of people who are at the other end of the age spectrum who, like me, can't imagine actually retiring and still have yes. a lot that they want to give and contribute. So tell us about the, the interviews and the book that you've been working on. Okay, so, so the interviews are with retirees and it kind of, it kind of self-selects people who are doing interesting things. This is not intended to be kind of the average retiree. This intends to be people who want to talk about what they're doing. Three examples of people taking leadership positions, I think, would be interesting for your audience. There's a fellow who was diagnosed with cancer almost at the same time that he retired. And of course, he goes through this devastating thing of, you know, I had all these plans for retirement, all this sort of thing. They started treating his cancer and and, and he, he went into remission. But at the same time, he turned to the people that were treating him and they said, how can I help you do this great work that you're doing? And his, he said, I expected they'd say, well, write me a check. And he said, I was delighted when they said, no, we need a cancer house in our community where people can be treated, can, can stay when they're being treated, where their families can stay when they're being treated. And it solves so many things for our community, for our treatment of cancer patients. And he thought about it. He says, you know, I've recently retired. I could do that. He organized a community-wide effort. He got the hospital involved. He got the community involved. He got a bunch of volunteers to go out and do fundraising. And a couple of years later, they raised over $4 million. They had built this facility and they had fundamentally changed the community. And the thing I found most interesting, Joy, he said, this was the most gratifying thing I've ever done in my life. I worked for 40 years. I never did anything as important as this. It's, it's just a great story. And it, it, and it kind of typifies the point you made earlier that you, some people don't slow down. He actually speeded up. He was working harder at this, but having more fun at this because it was something he had a passion for and something he enjoyed doing. But I think he also took you know years of business skills and leadership and getting people to pitch in uh, to make this project happen. Well, I love that story for a couple of reasons. One, because I think that there are a lot of people who have had, you know, a, a long career who then kind of transition into the association and nonprofit space and bring those business skills that they have into that. So I love it from kind of a 
founders and leadership perspective. But I also love the part of it in that the nonprofit didn't just say, hey, write us a check. They actually brought forward a very different kind of need that this gentleman could fulfill and you know, bring all that experience to bear. To, and probably got more out of that than they would have gotten if he had just simply written a check. So I love that. Yeah. He tells one story that I thought was interesting. He said he had a bunch of people that he wanted to have their membership commitment. He wanted them part of this project. And he said, I, we needed to do fundraising in the community. And a whole bunch of people had never done it before. And so now he sits down with them and, and says, oh, tell me tell me what your concerns are. And, and, and one of the fundraisers said, well, I just really re- reluctant to go in and ask somebody for $50,000 for our project. And he said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And, the, and, she, and she said, what? She said, we're going to ask for 100 so that we get at least 50. And they all had a <laughs> chuckle. They all started laughing. And they said, we can't do that. And he said, no, just go try it. Just go try it. And, and he made it into a, a, a membership issue, an, an issue of leadership, an issue of participation by each of these people. And they bought into it. I mean, they just said, okay, I'll try it. You know, you've been around and done a lot of, you have a lot of wisdom and experience. I'll trust you as, as our leader. And he succeeded in getting them kind of bought in to something they'd never done before and which they they succeeded dramatically at. So I, you know, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So give us another example. I love this. So another guy had a, a really complex situation. He had retired. He was kind of looking for something to do. He wanted to take on a project of some sort. And his university had discontinued ROTC, you know, the, the military involvement training programs at, as part of the university. They'd done that during the Vietnam era, uh, which was around the time he was in school there. And this guy had a military background and, and was biased towards that being important. He went back to the school and they were kind of talking about, we should bring ROTC back to the university. And he talked to them about it. And there were some people that were part of this. And and at one point he said, I can do this. I can lead this because it's just kind of floating around. It's an idea that people want to do. And what he accomplished in the membership part I think he never could have done if he didn't have the military experience and the business experience to form a coalition. So if you think about it, there's students at a university and they got to buy in. If you say, I'm bringing back back ROTC and they say, no, no, I'm I'm anti-war, I'm all this sort of thing. He said, no, we got to get them bought in. We've got to get the faculty bought in. We've got to get a group of volunteers bought, bought in. And we've got to get the university administration bought in. And he said it was his belief that the way to do that was to make this an idea that wasn't a radical idea, that wasn't a marching in the street kind of thing of we're going to get ROTC back. He says it was a calm behind the scenes kind of an effort of getting membership from the four constituents. It was a several year project for them. It was, you know, there were a lot of people saying, well, we've been without it for years and, you know, life was okay. And he said, no, life wasn't that okay. There are some people that would have benefited from that. 
and obviously there are people who have both sides of that viewpoint. You know, some people are kind of not so pro-military. Some people are very pro-military. And he had to kind of navigate all that in a way that I would say membership and participation was really a key to his success. Well, and and I imagine that life experience really helped him in terms of being able to understand the different perspectives and how to bring people together. Yeah, and I think the fact that he had both business experience and he'd been in the in the military reserves for a long time too. So he was a senior officer in the military. So he was able to kind of have that perspective and share it. And he also knew kind of attitudes towards the military. He he knew what to expect with people who were going to push back on him. So so he and like the first story, this was really special for this guy. He he feels like he accomplished something very important for his sense of self-worth and his sense of purpose and, and and went on to just really feel good about that. And now, now they've got ROTC back at the university and now he's working kind of also behind the scenes to kind of say, well, how do we get students to enroll in it and how do we expand its presence and all that? So it's a continuing process. He's, he's actually been working on this for a few years, but, but, it, but it's cool. It's like, he didn't retire. He just started doing something else um, and something else that he had a strong feeling for. Mm-hmm. You know, my very first, I always describe him as my first total stranger client. He was the first person that when I started my business, I had to actually write a proposal for and win the business. And he he was a retiree who was launching an association in, you know, an industry that he you know, had given his career to and felt very passionate about. And, you know, over the next, you know, 15 years of my business, I mean, that association just really grew and thrived in large part because of that passion and experience that he brought to it. And I mean, to this day, they're my largest client. So it's oh, uh, it's a great story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let me, let me tell you one final story, and then I'd like to kind of revert back to my own uh, kind of experience in, in the nonprofit world. And this was probably a little more within the range of what people kind of know about. This guy is uh, involved in governance at Habitat for Humanity, which is a very well-known organization, builds homes for the homeless. And he's been working with them for a couple of years now and feels like they do as a total organization, a great job of matching skills and experience to the needs of the organization. And he said, Habitat for Humanity has people that needs to, you know, hammer nails. They have people that need to do financing. They need people who do new strategic initiatives and all that sort of thing. He says, we got something for everybody. And anybody who shows up on our doorstep will find something that they can be an active member and help. And he, he said, I'm really proud of the way we match skills and experience to the needs of the organization so that everybody feels good about their piece of the puzzle. So based on your experience of, you know, having these conversations with um, retirees and your own personal experience of becoming, you know, involved in, you know, things that allow you to make meaningful contributions to the world. What advice do you have for organizational leaders who would really like to tap into, you know, what these retirees can, can bring to an organization? 
I think that's really an important question. I, I think for a lot of retirees, they've worked hard at something in their career, achieved some level of success, small, medium, or large amount of success at that. But I think there's a feeling of, I was doing that for me, regardless of what the job was, I was benefiting more than other people were. And there's this sense of, it's time to turn the tables here. It's time for me to give more than I get. Mm. Sense of purpose, passion, being motivated to to help build a cancer house or to build a, a house for the homeless or to, to establish an ROTC operation. All those things have the primary motivator for the retiree. And, and it's, it's the building block around which the rest of it happens. But I think the other pieces of the, the other pieces are over time almost as important. One is kind of a camaraderie. Doing this with a bunch of other people uh, who are having a ball doing it, who share a sense of purpose, but also know how to yuck it up and know how to have some fun and know how to just kind of say, oh, this is great. Isn't this fun? And uh, let's go have a beer together. You know, that sort of thing. That camaraderie, when you stop working and going to an office, your personal interactions change and the volunteer experience can fill, fill that and can be a very important part of this. The other thing I would say is that for some retirees, there's this thing of, I'm going to keep active. I'm going to keep doing stuff. And the volunteering gives them kind of a, almost a schedule, you know, a, a set of things to do that keep them alert, keep them motivated, keep them happy about what they're doing and both mental and, and, and physical kind of well-being as a result of that. The other part that I think is important for retirees is that this is one puzzle piece. This is the volunteering, maybe the most important thing they're doing, but they're also going to goof off. They're also going to play golf sometimes. They're going to take a trip. They're going to be a couch potato some days. This has got to fit in around a set of other priorities and activities. Um, And the good organizations know how to do that. They know how to ask enough and then let the person say, yes, I'll do that. And then they they say, but I can do a little bit more and I can do a little bit more of that. Um, But having that flexibility of having a retirement lifestyle and the meaning of meaningfulness of volunteering. I would say one other piece of this, um, and I think there's a big difference between organizations, and that's on the recognition part and 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 the gratefulness. Thank you for doing this. This is important. The Miller Center that I work for, where we work with social entrepreneurs from around the world, and we mentor them. And the way in which that organization doles out gratitude is something to behold. There's a, there's a thank you, there's a we appreciate you, and it's not superficial. It's about something specific that you did, something that was important about what you did. And in, in the case of the Miller Center, how many lives you impacted by helping an organization do something like providing innovative uh, technology for shelter for refugees. I mean, if, if you provide additional shelter for refugees, you're going to feel good about that. And you feel good about that internally, but then the organization recognizes and, 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 and gives you things like a Miller Center t-shirt, you know, to say thank you. And I think that thank you 
some, I, I, I got an email the other day from somebody that said, I thought you said volunteering was great. Nobody appreciates what I do. Um, That's sad. Well, you're, you're working at a wrong organization. If they don't appreciate their volunteers, they don't deserve to have them. You know, I've so said in the past, yeah, I've said in the past, I wrote a blog article about like the best thank you I ever received. And it was, it was very simple, but it was so creative. The organization that I had um, done some grant consulting with them printed out a copy of the email that had listed like the um, different organizations that had been funded as a result of the consulting work that I did. And they cut it into the shape of a feather. It was laminated and they sent it to me and said that it was a feather in my cap. And I still have it. I still have it here at my desk because it was, it was meaningful. It was a very meaningful thank you. Right. Right. And I think, I think a lot of organizations, you know, do a thank you dinner and they just give some, some load of rubbish that, you know, you just thank you for your help. And and they say the same thing to everybody without tailoring it to what their contribution was. And the person who did almost nothing gets the same thanks as the person who did a ton of stuff. And, and I think it's still nice to have a thank you dinner and, and, and do all that kind of recognition, but it isn't the same as a tailored recognition and, and, and relating it to the task that was accomplished. Well, I think there is just so much here that organizations can learn from and apply to, you know, designing their member experience. And I'm so grateful to you for <laughs> you sharing your insight here today. And I know you only shared like three stories out of the book that you wrote. So if people want to learn more about that and read for their stories, where can they find that? So the book title is called Shifting Gears, 50 Baby Boomers Share Their Meaningful Journeys in Retirement. The book's available for pre-order now. It'll be published in November. And the best way to connect to it is either to go to Amazon to pre-order or go to my website where we've got a lot of blogs and background material on retirement, that sort of thing. And that's uh, richardhayduck.com. It's H-A-I-D-U-C-K.com. I will make sure we put a link to that um, with the show notes so people can find that pretty easily. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate your time and good luck with everything you're working on. This has been such a cool project to hear about. Okay, well, thank you, Joy. I've enjoyed it very much. All right, take care. Hey, Joy here, just popping back in to share my own reactions to this week's podcast interview. I'd be curious to hear whether your organization has a specific level of membership for retirees. Sometimes when I start working with a client, I'll notice that they do. But often when I dig in, this is really just a designation for reduced membership dues. Nothing else is different about the member experience for these older members. When nothing changes for members who have longevity with an organization, this often leads to a dynamic where the members actually feel like they've gotten all of the value that they're going to get out of the membership. As a result, they begin fading away. Of course, this fading away just reinforces the organization's thinking that retirees prefer a less engaged role. One of the things I loved about this week's podcast episode is that it reminded me 
And I hope you, that members with more life and career experience, can contribute to your organization in ways that are quite meaningful. If retirees can be doing the kinds of things that Dick talks about, isn't it possible that they could be a powerful force for you as well? What about a senior leadership group? What about special projects involving research or advocacy? What about engaging their help as advocates or as a welcoming committee for new members? While it is completely possible that some members who find themselves eligible for that retiree category are indeed ready to step back to focus on other priorities, it's also possible that others are just getting started and now they actually have time to contribute to your organization in some bigger ways. Your member experience makes a big difference in how quickly your membership grows and how engaged your members feel. If creating an exceptional member experience is something that you believe is important, I invite you to check out the Member Experience Makeover, my signature program for experience design. This program is specifically for those of you who are running associations, trade groups, or membership-based nonprofits, and you really want to connect with what members need from you in every step of their journey with your organization. This program is where I get guide you through a deep assessment of what's currently happening in your membership, and we plan exactly what needs to happen in order to fill those growth gaps and build on strengths. You can see all the details about the program at joyofmembership.com makeover, and there's even a little gadget there on that page to submit any questions you might have about whether the program is a perfect fit for you or a member of your team. Check it out, and I hope to see you in there real soon. Hey there, you made it all the way to the end. Bravo to you. I'm back in just one last time to remind you that there's a free one-page PDF available over at the website that shows you more than 20 ways that technology could be supporting your efforts to attract, engage, and retain more members. It's actually broken down into the stages of the member journey, so you'll know exactly where each piece fits. And everything that's on that one-pager can actually be automatically done for you with software that costs less than a thousand dollars per year. So if you haven't already grabbed it, you can get your copy at joyofmembership.com slash tech. Joyofmembership.com slash tech. T-E-C-H. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.